bum bum bottom 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 bum
good. I'm very excited about the graphic novel coming out later this year. Oh, but you know, like the thing about free comic book day, as much as we love grabbing the, the all the freebies, right? And getting these previews to these rad storylines coming down the pike. It's about going to your shop, supporting them, buying some comics while you're there. And I, what I like about it so much is, you know, it does have this holiday feel. It feels like the Black Friday of comic book shops where you walk in and it's just swamped with people and all age ranges. And it's unlike Black Friday at the comic book shop because you're not there to get the deals. Like a lot of the shops have deals, but we wanna be at the store regardless because it is just buzzing with people who are excited about comics. Yeah, and the conversations you have on free comic book day are some of the giddiest conversations that are possible in a shop. And it is an infectious environment, which is why we go from shop to shop to shop, crossing state lines to keep this feeling going. Mm -hmm. The other really cool thing that happened on Free Comic Book Day wasn't actually on Free Comic Book Day. We were talking to our friend, Will. We were doing a Zoom thing for a secret project we'll talk about <laughs> later. Um, but we were talking with Will and Will's like, hey guys, congratulations for getting name checked on the back of the Oni Press, John and the Impossible, Monsters issue. And we were like, whoa, 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 what? I, I think I had some expletives in <laughs> you my did. reaction. You did. And your mother heard them on Mother's Day. <laughs> she did. She did. And sure enough, on the back of the comic, you know, they're listing how John and the Impossible Monsters is the best comic of 2021. As so say all these cool people, Entertainment Weekly, The Comics Journal, Film School Rejects, uh, Comics Bookcase, and Comic Book Couples Counseling. It, we were last. It's like they led up to us. We were last, but we were right above Jeff Smith's most excellent quote on the back of that comic book. Uh, so seeing Comic Book Couples Counseling in print on the back of a free comic book day edition of John and the Impossible Monsters, one of our favorite comics out there right now from one of our favorite creative teams, the Somnies, Chris and Laura, that is like this warm hug. It's like, hey, this baby Brad and Lisa have created, not a flesh and blood baby. Because those are gross. <laughs> Disgusting. No, this podcast baby you have created, it's real. Oh my goodness. If my mom heard you calling our podcast a baby, she would be... <laughs> Devastated. Well, I'm sorry, Dottie, <laughs> but comic book couples counseling is Brad and Lisa's baby. And it's beautiful and we love it. Yeah. We actually gave her a copy of Jonna with our names <laughs> on the back. I'm like, that's us. Look, look, we <laughs> matter. We're doing things, Dottie. Uh, and she seemed pretty cool about She's it. She's super supportive. And she was really excited about John and the Impossible Monsters, which I was like surprised by. Well, she loves anything all ages because yeah. she is. Easily scandalized. Yes, that is true. That is true. So, yeah, a big weekend for us. I hope you all had a really wonderful and productive free comic book day, already anticipating next year's event. Such a great time every year. And, yeah, um, how do we transition into talking about Samurai Rabbit, Lisa? I don't think we do transition, sweetheart. I think we just, like, pivot. We just pivot to it because it's so cool. It's very cool. Okay, so Usagi Ojimbo first came out in comics like 1984. I, like a lot of folks, first encountered the character Miyamoto through the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. And over the years, I would pick up an issue of Usagi Ojimbo here and there. And I remember really loving Senso, the War of the Worlds mashup comic. And Lise and I would go to the San Diego Comic-Con and every year 
we would walk by Stan's booth, but I was always too nervous to approach and talk to Stan Sakai. Because you didn't feel like you were big enough of a fan. Like yeah. Stan would like shoot you a pop quiz and you wouldn't know enough. <laughs> because with a character like Miyamoto Usagi, they've been around for so long. Like I, I, I never, I never, you know, I would pick and choose, but I never read from the beginning. So I never felt like I, I truly appreciated the work and I didn't want to like, you know, uh, be a poser, mm. which is like such a silly self-defeating attitude. And of course I should have gone up to Stan Sakai, but I didn't. I had multiple opportunities and I elected not to because of my shyness. And then the pandemic happens. I don't know if you heard this, guys. Uh, and <laughs> lockdown occurred. And during lockdown in those early days, that's when I decided to read everything. And I was able to do that thanks to our friends at Third Eye Comics. They had all the collections still on their shelves. I called them up and they shipped all the saga books, the Fanographics collection to our house. And over the course of those three months, I read every single Usagi Ojimbo comic book. And Lisa, like, like I couldn't shut up about it. It took over our lives. <laughs> like, so we would go on, especially when I was teaching remotely. Right. Like we would spend hours just stomping around our neighborhood on these long walks <laughs> and Brad would just describe Usagi books to me. Yeah. And it was so sweet. It was so much fun. I love that that memory of those long walks where I was just like narrating Usagi's life. And then we decided we had to cover Miyamoto and Tomoe on Comic Book Couples Counseling and links in the show notes. You can find those four episodes. Those are some of my favorite conversations that we've had on this podcast, and I was finally able to rope Lisa into the Usagi Yojimbo clan. Because Brad had done such a deep, um, focused reading, he was able to curate this mm. really wonderful list of comics that focused on Usagi's relationship with one character, right. which was Tomoe Ame, who we've I've decided is his true love. Right. But Usagi is such an intricate tale that literally what we did was just like pick up one thread yes. in a rope. Yes. And I feel like Usagi is the kind of narrative where you could do that for his relationship with any yes, character. Yes, uh, Usagi Ujimbo is a relationship saga. It's not just Miyamoto. It's about how he relates to all these supporting players. And you develop intense feelings for all of those dynamics, right? And, you know, over the course of our relationship with the characters, we've developed a very precious attitude toward them and how they should be portrayed, right? And, you know, while uh, uh, the character has been adapted in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics over every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, there's been multiple versions of that character. There was like a brief moment where we might even have a space Usagi uh, cartoon and that didn't quite happen. And then, you know, the adaptation has been on the horizon for so long. When is it going to occur? When is it going to occur? And now here we are, 2022, and we have Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles, but it's not quite an adaptation of Usagi Ojimbo, which I know causes some people some concern and some like anxiety, but I'm here to tell you, you know, all 10 episodes of the first part of this series are available on Netflix. We've watched all of them. 
And it's a pretty darn great show. Well, because I think it does go with that thread idea where they pick up a thread in Usagi's legacy that is way down the line. Yes. So the, the TV show centers around a character, Yuichi, who is a couple generations removed from Miyamoto Usagi. Yes, yes. And because of that, he has his own narrative that is connected but still separate from the story that we know. And we talk about this in this conversation with Stan and the art director, Kong Lee, as well as the showrunners, Candy and Doug Langdale. That idea, like that um, divergence really gives the audience a freedom to just enjoy this thing as its own thing because you're released from like having to critically analyze is this Stan Sakai's world and characters. When we first found out it was going to be child-centric, mm-hmm. that this was going to be a TV show for kids, we were wary. Sure. Because one of the things we love about... Usagi Ojimbo is that it's so violent. Yeah, Miyamoto. And so many people die. Yeah, he stands on a giant stack of bodies. Uh, Yeah, and so we're like, how can you portray that in a child-friendly way? And then we're like, okay, so he's killing robots? That's, like, not cool. And that's not really what they do. Like, that was our worry. There is... Like, uh, actual stakes in this show, and there are deaths. You do see someone get impaled on a sword via shadow. But for me, as a fan of the original comic, what I think is so special about this TV show is that the comic and the information that is in the comic is revered, Mm -hmm. but separate. Mm -hmm. So I think that for the young fan, it will create this kind of curiosity for the original source material. And I think a lot of the children watching this comic are watching this TV show are going to grow up and look for those volumes. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. And I think there is a really uh, fascinating conversation happening in Samurai Rabbit about honor and legacy and how Miyamoto is perceived by his ancestor Yuichi versus how the rest of Neo Edo and Japan uh, understand that history and mythology as well. They might not line up. And I think that um, schism provides a lot of uh, narrative depth that I was not anticipating originally when I heard about this show. It's really a show about heroism yes and what we choose or how we choose to remember someone and how that idea becomes inflated the more removed we are from the individual yeah yeah absolutely and so what you're going to hear in this conversation uh it's it's broken up into two parts we first talked to stan sakai and kong lee together on one zoom call uh and you know of course like I, I, I was very nervous about like, oh, I just want to talk to Stan. I mm-hmm. just want to talk to Stan about uh, his his beautiful creation. How are we going to work uh, uh, Kong Lee into it? But Kong Lee, also an incredibly interesting human being. And he joined the call before Stan did. And so we got some time with him before we chatted with Stan off mic. 
And he is very much like us, mm -hmm. a big nerd for Stan Sakai, and was very concerned about adapting this comic work and creating some kind of connective tissue from what Samurai Rabbit is and what Usagi Ojimbo is. What I found so sweet about this first conversation is how Stan and Kong connected as visual artists. Mm. And the thing that got Stan Sakai excited about this new interpretation of his work was seeing Kong Lee's art. Yes. And like, it was just that mutual respect yes. that got like the engines really rolling. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so you're gonna hear that conversation. And then that conversation is going to roll into our second chat, which was with Candy Langdale and Doug Langdale, the showrunners of Samurai Rabbit, and uh, getting into, you know, their nerves and their excitement around this very special adaptation. And they're an actual married couple, yes, which yes. makes this our second, second uh, Love Seed edition. Yeah, right after the Somnies, we now have the Langdales. So yeah, we're very excited. We hope you're excited to hear this conversation. I think we should also mention that we had only seen the first two episodes yes. when we talked to Stan and Kong. And a lot of, and I'm just saying that defensively because uh, the full season had not dropped yet. So we were working from screeners and a lot of my questions had to do with the setup of Yuichi's character. Mm -hmm. And Stan keeps going like, well, that gets resolved fairly quickly sure. in this season. And I was like, oh, okay. And then when we got to talk to the Langdales, it was the day after yes. the full season got dropped. And we spent that morning just binging the entire season. Yes. And so we had way more information yeah, when yeah. we talked to them. Yeah, I think it makes for a really good like break point between these two chats. Like that way the second half of this episode doesn't really repeat anything from the first half or, or it clarifies some of those concerns we had in the first half. Right, so right. enjoy the conversation. If you have been a little weary about checking out Samurai Rabbit, I think this chat will convince you to do so. If you've been like us reveling in Samurai Rabbit, I think this will just continue the celebration. But that's enough from us. I know some of you out there are saying, Brad and Lisa, please be quiet. We're here for Stan Sakai. <laughs> okay, we will finally silence ourselves and get on with the interview. Here you are. Yeah, well, I see you have a Space Sasagi t-shirt. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yes, I do. I had a dress for this interview. And I have your Mondo prints up on the wall in front of me. I have original Usagi art on my right. Long time oh, no. Usagi fans. No, thank you. Oh, of course. All right. So we're ready. I'm not fanning. Yeah, Brad was telling me he was going to play it really cool. Okay. Um, he's already <laughs> spoiled that. But <laughs> All right. Well, you blew that. <laughs> I did. I did. Let's get started then. Three, two, one. Stan and Kang, thank you so much for joining us in the Love Nest. Welcome to Comic Book Couples <laughs> Counseling. Well, thank you. We're glad to be here. And Kang, nice. you know, I thought we could start with you because as we were talking a little bit off mic, we were very nervous going into the Samurai Rabbit series. You know, we treat these comics as fans sometimes do very preciously. And we were nervous going into it. And we came out of it very relieved. Uh, I think your experience with Usagi Ojimbo is similar to ours. What was it like coming onto this project 
and adapting Stan's iconic work? Yeah, first of all, you know, we, we really love Stan's work. Um, pretty much entire team, uh, you know, from design to CG team in uh, India, everyone loves the show. And you can see that, you know, we produce really great artwork because, you know, everyone's really interested in it. So for me, it's the same thing as, you know, I already love Stan's work. And as long as Stan is behind us, um, it doesn't matter what it is, we'll make sure that it stays true to what, you know, Stan has envisioned and, you know, the world that he already built. Uh, we're only piggybacking on, you know, this project. Uh, and at first, yeah, the, the concept of this being in the future might seem a little strange. Uh, one of the things that we were able to do was incorporate a more traditional element from feudal Japan uh, alongside something that's very modern. And visually, you're going to find that new Edo, which is, uh, as Stan explained, is a new Edo, pretty much. Um, so with that, you have very traditional element, you know, uh, Japanese architecture, combined with things that you find modern day, uh, everyday life, um, you know, like for, for example, Tokyo, which is you know, modern uh, Edo, uh, hence Neo Edo. For example, uh, skyscrapers, vending machines, which are extremely popular in Japan, you know, especially if you're walking around Tokyo, every couple of steps, you're gonna find a vending machine of all kinds. So we have a lot of those, we have a lot of signage, um, so it's a good balance between you having, you know, these kind of architecture that you're used to seeing in samurai films. Suddenly, you also see some of more relatable elements from modern day life, and um, and you know, finding the balance to put those two things together, we have this sort of complete universe for for Yuichi Yusagi, which is a descendant of uh, Miyamoto. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of like a mirror of what we're doing now, too. Stan is Miyamoto. We are, you know, Yuichi. Um, so in a way, it worked pretty well for, for the concept. So, you know, for us as longtime Miyamoto fans, the idea of going into Samurai Rabbit into the future with the descendant, with, with Yuichi, was actually kind of like this brilliant move because it's, it offers some freedom for us as viewers to accept the adaptation process. Stan, how early into this series was that the concept? Um, pretty early on, actually. Uh because this series is geared for a younger audience. I mean, cartoons, uh, for most cartoons are. And so taking it out, out of, um, taking the focus away from my Miyamoto Usagi and onto a descendant, I, I thought it was a great move. However, you know, I, like you, I was a bit hesitant, but you know, Kang's gonna, it's probably tired of me hear, of uh, me saying this. I mean, he hears it every time I talk to him, but it was his designs that actually convinced me, oh, this is gonna work. That first drawing he did of Neo Edo, I mean, that just, oh my gosh, this is great. It's gonna, it's gonna look fantastic. And you know, that, that's what really turned the corner for me saying that, well, at first, well, it's not the Usagi, but however, then I saw his designs. Oh my gosh, this is gonna be great. <laughs> And well, not, to I, say, not to say that my Usagi is not in it, because my Usagi does play a prominent role uh, throughout the entire episodes. And what uh, Doug and Candy did with my character is just genius. <laughs> what I find so special about the adaptation and the way Miyamoto Usagi plays in this story is that it's going to create a curiosity for mm -hmm. the original work, because we have these beautiful... Um, flashback scenes 
that I think um, young readers, when they get a little older and they can deal with all of the piles of bodies <laughs> that are created in every issue, um, I think that they're going to run to those stories. And I also like the juxtaposition of uh, Miyamoto Usagi is such a humble individual for, for most of the time that we know him. Somebody with uh, Miyamoto Usagi's story in their future is a very humble and open person where Yuichi it has uh, Miyamoto Usagi in his past. And because those stories are in the past, he is like tremendously brash and confident. He feels like he doesn't need a master. And I was wondering, like, do you feel like a young Miyamoto Usagi would relate to Yuichi? Yuichi is very much like a young Miyamoto Usagi in that he's very, like you say, he's brash, he's impulsive. I mean, and he, you know, like all people that age, they know it all, they can do it all. But then he finds that uh, his confidence is not uh, where it should be. It's uh, his, his abilities are not true to what he thinks. And so that's a big, big revelation to him. Say, so, hey, you know, I, I, at first I didn't think uh, I needed a sensei. I want a sensei, but I want the best. And, you know, he, he does find it. But Usagi uh, Yuichi is a great character. He changes throughout the entire, you can see his development. And I think that's wonderful. It's uh, to see how the characters change, how they're very dynamic. And this is a very character-driven show. The artwork is fantastic, but the focus is on the characters. Uh, in your current series for IDW, mm -hmm. you've introduced Yukuichi. Yuki, uh, yeah, you, uh -huh. Thank you. Uh, he feels a little bit like a character that's in conversation with Yuichi in Samurai Rabbit. Was that, was he created for that purpose? Uh, to some extent, I've always wanted, well, for a long time, I wanted to uh, introduce a new character, a younger, like a younger version of Usagi. So Usagi can be the mentor and that's what he's doing to Yukichi. And, uh, you know, I, I think they have a nice pairing because uh, now Usagi's the more mature person where, and Yukichi is uh, the student that's, uh, that's learning how to be a real samurai, learning how to uh, honor and loyalty above all things. And um, his swordsmanship is pretty good. However, it's not quite the level of Usagi's. So they're, they're wandering by them uh, together and they're learning from each other. One thing that I find really engaging about the story Usagi Yojimbo is that like his Bushido code, he's always returning to it and considering it. Do you feel like him having someone like Yuki will help him codify his code even further? Very much so. And Usagi's had some issues with the Bushido code for a while, such as uh, uh, not too long ago, he went to his old master's uh, uh, grave and asked, you know, I know that a samurai is loyal to the master, but you know, you've been dead a while. I, my life has changed. You know, I want to be released from this obligation of loyalty to you. And, you know, he's working that out too. That's part of Bushido code that he's, he's working through. And uh, now I think further on down the line, you'll see him changing even more. Uh, and that's a lot because he's traveling with them with Yukichi, Yuki. 
one thing that I think is defining Miyamoto Usagi is that he has his own code, but mm-hmm. he doesn't mind like hanging out with people like Gen or like Kitsune that mm-hmm. have a different code than him. He he's like very more nod- than different, like, like opposing. Yeah, yeah like and he, but he still you know can have a friendship with them and and respect them and go like and people are very open about what they believe mm-hmm. with Usagi. And now in Samurai Rabbit, we see these characters again. We see Gen. We see Kitsune. Um, my fingers are crossed for Tomoe. Here's hoping. Um, like, so, so are these, should we consider these to also be descendants or now are they kind of like, almost like, um, like Commedia dell'arte, like archetypal characters? Well, I like to think of them as descendants because like Gen, uh, my Gen was a bounty hunter. This one, this Gen is also a bounty hunter. Like, uh, but they've also added to the character such as Gen is, uh, he's big and gruff, he's a rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. And, but then he's a hypochondriac, which is very against type. I mean, he gets a small little cut on his hand, on his finger, and oh, I've got to go to, dent- uh, to the doctor, I've got to wrap it up, I, I need my shots. And, and you know, all of these characters, uh, Chizu, the, the ninja, the Neko ninja, she has her own backstory uh, about growing up being kidnapped as a child and uh, learning how to become a ninja. Uh, Kitsune, the thief, has her own backstory as well. And, you know, it's nice how the characters are so well-rounded. And they, um, they overcome the, their uh, difficulties in the past. In some instances, their difficulties make them even stronger mm-hmm. than they would be. And, you know, it's a nice group. And that's what it is. As I said, it's a character-driven show. And it shows how these diverse characters, at first they can't stand each other and how they come together. And it's a nice group dynamic where they're learning from each other and they're contributing to to each other. And these are people that had no uh, sense of family whatsoever almost, being abandoned, being kidnapped, being... uh, Usagi is the only, or Yuichi is the only one that had uh, a sense of family. He had a grandmother. Yeah, the family of the comics and how it is replicated in the series is one of the most attractive things for me. And I'm, I'm curious, Kang, for you, when you were adapting these designs, these characters, their uh, internal life as well as their external life, like what is critical in that transfer process from comic to screen? Oh, that's a tough question, actually. <laughs> we have to do a lot of uh, iterations and trying to find one that you know worked visually, but also for the story and the world that we built too. So there's a lot of uh, kind of variables that kind of determine that. Um, but ultimately, if it feels good online, if the characters behave, act consistently, and you know, you believe like you know that's that's not just a figure that's moving on screen but that's you know that's a living being like uh again for example you know i just love him because he reacts to things very specific to his nature you know um and there's humor to it but there's also a little bit of imposingness to his looks it's just a very sweet kind of character and you know you see his 
his arc uh, throughout the story, but his personality is very clear. Like, yeah, oh yeah, that's that's a person behind it. It's not a cartoon character. Uh, and that's true for pretty much all our characters in the show. And that's what I was really amazed at is, you know, you look at them, uh, regardless of what they look like on screen too, you know, whether they, um, you know, wear a jacket or, you know, armor. Um, it's really their behavior and their acting. And I, I think that's the, you know, the, the character driven part that Stan mentioned that worked really, really well. Mm -hmm. They are memorable characters. So even if, uh, you know, you saw you wear something else, if he, you know, if he's as patches on his eyes or something, it would still be Usagi, you know, because the characters are so well built and well uh, acted. And they've gone beyond my cast of characters and created new characters mm -hmm. that also contribute to the uh, the entire storyline. So, I mean, I'm so happy with the series. <laughs> I, I'm so happy that you're so happy and I'm so happy that I'm so happy uh, with the series. I, but I am curious about, you know, when you're in the development stages and you are uh, overseeing the tiny changes uh, and the ways that it adheres to your characters, were there moments where you're like, uh, that maybe is like a change too far or something that didn't quite feel like uh, something that was honest to your creation, Stan? Well, the writers, uh, Doug and Candy were great. Uh, they're the showrunners and the twist with uh, my Usagi uh, is one that I, never thought of and they cleared it with me before they actually started uh, uh writing about it and i thought when they said you know we want to do this with your sagi i thought oh my gosh that's incredible that's a great idea go with it so i was always uh, consulted even before whenever they had questions then i was always uh, consulted before they committed anything to uh to paper so uh, any conflicts uh, were very minimal. Mm, mm, yeah, uh, you know th those sequences, the the Miyamoto sequences that we've seen so far, and the way that they're rendered in a different animation style, is like like one of the great pleasures of Samurai Rabbit. Mm -hmm. And for you, Kang, what was it like capturing those designs and that style versus what the prime storyline uh, style looks like aesthetic? Oh, this question is much more comfortable for me. I would, I'd love, <laughs> one of the best part of the show are those 2D sequences. And it's purely done in-house in our Paris team. And uh, they were amazing. Um, just a little backstory, you know, uh, because the Stan's comic is pen and ink, you know, and the show is in CG. So having these sort of moments uh, is just perfect for you know for the the styling and you know go back to that point earlier is you know Stan is Miyamoto, we are his descendant you know uh, representing Yuichi, then the style you know we want to harken back to something that is more traditional like pen and ink, uh, ink wash you know a little bit of watercolor sort of look, and uh, so it just fits perfectly with that you know CG is very modern you know this mainstream type of. Uh, uh, design. Then you have something that's very traditional ink wash, uh, uh, sumi ink kind of style, was very reminiscent of uh, uh, you know old Japanese paintings and uh, brushwork. Uh, not only that, it kind of mirrors what Stan does with his comic as well. You know, uh, things that you cannot replicate in CG, mm -hmm. things that only a pen, ink on paper could do. Um, so we try to get uh, get that feeling 
back in by having these moments. It also gives us a little break in terms of style. You know, if, if we're telling a different type of story and a different timeline, it just fits perfectly with that kind of moment. You know? um, but aside from that, too, budget. <laughs> it does save us, uh, you know, some CG budget to, to have uh, those extra stuff built in CG would, would cost a lot as well. You know? And we actually had a, uh, a very um, specific artist doing those inking. Um, he's a, actually a mural artist. This mm. beautiful uh, giant uh, brushwork uh, mural uh, in France. And he happens to also work in animation. So you know, a friend of ours who is um, the, the supervising car character designer, uh, Baptiste, he called uh, Antoine, who's our uh, inking artist. And he does all the inking for the for those sequences. Um, you know, it's very harmonized, very unique. And it's someone who understands uh, the brushwork really well. You know, that, that was one of the uh, special things. Of course, the whole thing is very special, but um, you know, Antoine just added that extra touch to the, the look. I, the, I love the brushwork. So it's very dynamic and it's it's rough and it just it's a nice contrast between Yuichi's world and Miyamoto Usagi's world. So it's just terrific. Well, those sequences that come in. It's a little bit more gritty too, you know, so that's why the visuals, we, we try to make it a little more textured yeah, exactly. uh, as opposed to the CG smoother look. <laughs> There's a it's moment. It's a little more softer nowadays. <laughs> There's a moment in the second episode where there's a flashback to a more sinister interpretation of Miyamoto. <laughs> and we've seen this kind of look on Miyamoto in the comics in the past, mm -hmm. but like when that happened in the second episode, um, I was startled and moved by it and just immediately curious and, and immediately curious and also accepting of the adaptation process. The interesting thing to me about that is it's a, a comment on how stories do change, just like everything that was heroic and honorable about um, Miyamoto Usagi is amplified. So are the things that are terrifying and perhaps not exactly true or uh, or a worry or concern also becomes amplified and how that's highlighted by different perspectives like mm -hmm. Miyamoto in someone's eyes is one thing and Miyamoto in another person's eyes is something totally different exactly yeah what what I wonder is because Yuichi exists with the idea of Miyamoto can he not then like will his story by necessity like diverge from that same path because you'd think that the ultimate fulfillment of his character would be to be more like his ancestor, but by knowing who his ancestor is, he has to become his own person. Does that that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He like, like, like I keep saying, he develops, he becomes his own person and he worships his ancestor, but there's a few things uh, that occur that uh, indicates Usagi is not, the original Usagi is not the, uh, I was going to say the man, but the rabbit <laughs> that he thought he was. So, so there is changes. And I should mention about uh, the yokai, the mm -hmm. series, these things take place uh, with uh, yokai, it's a world of yokai. And yokai are the haunts, the monsters, the spooks and goblins of Japanese folklore. And Japan, for such a small country, has such a rich and diverse uh, 
tradition of yokai, of uh, folklore. And it's not just a really scary, horrific things, but it's also the really goofy stuff too, like the the umbrella with the uh, that hops around, or the Wadaji sandals with uh, eyes and teeth, and it, it's 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 fun. I, I love doing stories about yokai, and I was so pleased to see yokai involved in this story. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, uh, what the show seems to maintain this. Um curiosity, I'll use that word again, that curiosity for mythology and history that Usagi Ojimbo has had. And when you're a reader, uh, you would then go and research and explore. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved your your story notes around those comics. And so it does feel like a gateway Mm -hmm. story. And Samurai Rabbit feels like a gateway story. That's another thing about uh, uh, Yuichi is is that, like we said, he's very confident, he's annoyed all. And he thinks all yokai are evil because his ancestor, uh, Usagi, battled yokai. And, but then he finds, well, maybe they're not all as bad as he thought. So he, you know, he, he keeps maturing and changing as he experiences more things. So in your experience, Dan, with you know, collaborating on Samurai Rabbit with all these incredibly talented people, um, you know, has it opened you up to the idea of allowing more people to play around with uh, Miyamoto Usagi? Because, you know, famously, that character is yours. And that's why <laughs> we're a little nervous when other people, you know, play with our toys, play with your toys. You know, for uh, but a you've been doing upside. variant covers mm-hmm. and things like that lately. And, you know, how do you I've feel? I've always enjoyed seeing other people, other artists' interpretation of my Usagi. In fact, uh, at one time, I had proposed a series called Usagi Ujimbo, Kagemusha, uh, Shadow Warriors, in which other creators would write and draw Usagi stories, maybe an anthology uh, series of maybe uh, five or six issues. And that's something I still would love to do. Mm. And, you know, this is probably my, well, this is my biggest collaboration, you know, ever with uh, the entire Samurai Rabbit, um, the Usagi Chronicles, because, you know, we had a whole team of writers, uh, uh, artists, um, designers, I was getting oh, had to. Uh, I was getting uh, approval or notices for everything, like broccoli and rocks. I could approve things like that. Other things were uh, these ships. It's huge, fine ships, literally fine ships. And my first thought: Oh my gosh, I love it. I would love to have a toy of that. <laughs> and or the play sets, oh my gosh, the uh, the cityscapes that Kang came up with, or even uh, you know, it's just incredible. I would I would love it to go beyond just the the uh, animated series and do toys and comic books and everything. Like I love the design of the robots in Samurai Rabbit, and it reminds me of stories like Senso or Space Usagi, mm-hmm. this idea of like steam powered, mm-hmm. enormous robots. And I, and I was just wondering um, uh, what designing those robots was like. <laughs> so that's Kang and the design team. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, there was an inspiration that we were looking at. It's called Robot uh, Carnival. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen the anime. Uh, there were these giant robots who were that, that made of wood and you know very analog. Uh, gear that's propelling them. Um, so that was definitely a big influence uh, for us. 
And also we need robots because if we have flying ships, why not, you know? <laughs> um, they also have functions to them. The, the robot that you uh, may have seen is, you know, they, they might purpose construction, they might purpose the farm, they might purpose, you know, many other things too. So they're, they're not just robots there for visuals, but, you know, they're, they're doing something you know, for the city. They're part of you know, everyday life. <laughs> Uh, well, they're fabulous, as Lisa mentioned. Uh, Stan and Kang, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would want mentioned before we well, get out of here? Show you, uh, oh my gosh, yes. I've been working on pages. This is a page I'm currently working on, and I don't know if you can see it. Oh, it yeah. has the uh, Usagi fighting the bat ninjas off of, they're on the edge of a cliff, or literally. The and the, uh, the bat ninjas will be part of this series. And it's it's kind of neat. I, I love how they the, uh, they incorporated the blades into the wings. So, oh, and man. this is actually the next page. It's not as done. I'm just I just started on this page here. So there's still a lot of the pencils left and a lot of inking to do. But I thought you'd get a kick out of this. I I get more than a kick out of it, Stan. <laughs> uh, that is a true delight. Thank you so much. I love it when there are other species, like whenever I see like Lord Heavy, I'm like so like disoriented because <laughs> I'm not used to, like I'm so used to mammals. And then yeah. uh, for bats to come up, and it's just like birds and snakes. We've had some birds recently. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, I'm going to have links in the show notes of this episode. and But just in case people don't click on those links, uh, is there anywhere that we can point them towards? to continue this conversation with you. And I have my own website, stansakai.com. So I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you for hanging out with us. You have a wonderful afternoon and we look forward to more episodes of Samurai Rabbit. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Have a good one. Thank and you as well. Doug and Candy, thank you so much for joining us at Comic Book Couples Counseling. Welcome to the Love Nest. Thank you. Thank it's an you. honor to be here. Yeah. Well, it's an honor to be talking to the two of you. We just finished watching the 10th episode of Samurai Rabbit. And I am so relieved to tell you that I loved the show. So okay. much anxiety going into watching something that's an adaptation of something we hold so precious and to see it done so well with such love. Um, it really warmed our hearts. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, I figured where we could start is the same place that we started with Stan and Kang talking about the decision to not directly adapt Usagi Ojimbo, but to do um, sort of your own story set on the timeline of Usagi Ojimbo, but to follow Yuichi as he is reckoning with his legacy. When did that uh, fall into place exactly? Um, that decision was made before we were brought on and Netflix wanted a kid's show. And I believe it was felt there was not a good way to do a kid's show and still honor the original comic book. Yeah, so, there's a lot of murder. <laughs> They felt that it it would be best to you know to, to give us its own a, a spinoff. So, but that, I mean, the decision had had already been made when we started to set it in the future and to do it like a a, a younger, more 
enthusiastic and less jaded less version. developed yeah less developed version of the mm -hmm. of the character and and you know like sort of follow them it's not the same character it's a descendant uh of Miyamoto Usagi but uh, to sort of follow him on his journey to becoming someone like Miyamoto Usagi but we wanted to make every effort to keep Miyamoto alive in the show so we found a way to work him in yes I mean, technically, you see Miyamoto before you see. Yeah. Yes. So. Yes. We wanted, like, right from the start to say, we know. Yes. 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 Sanyo Jumbo is a great thing, and we're doing essentially a spinoff yes, of that. We love him too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, what was so brilliant about that decision was how it gave me the freedom to just relax and watch the show. Whereas yeah. if it had been a direct adaptation, I'd be like really scrupulous about it. Right. Uh, and, and, and I would imagine just creatively, that would also free the two of you up to develop it. Yes. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was so great of Stan to let us like take a little, a little distinct corner of his universe and mm -hmm. play around. Yeah. He let us play in his world yes. for a little bit. What were the challenges of maintaining the spirit of Sakai's work in this new world? What was the thing that you had to um, hurdle? And then when did it click for you? Um, I mean, there was a lot of, research but not mm -hmm. really not like not the kind of research where you're looking for specific facts but more like let's just read a bunch of stuff let's watch a bunch of movies let's watch a bunch of videos read read, read his comic books read, you know, you read, read everything yeah. um i think the thing that really helped was not having screens or computers or cell phones even though it's the future you know it's an alternate future so I I think that helped keep the the feel. Yeah, I mean it, it allows you to create this world that feels like it has a connection to our world, but it's definitely not. Mm -hmm. There's no no one's on their phone. There are no phones, there's no screens, there's no electronics at all. And yet there are still are, you know, basically flying cars and yeah. giant robots and stuff because it's all you know, futuristic brute force technology with no electronics. I want to live there. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I love how even without the like pervasive existence of screens like we have in our present, there is this ongoing conversation about um, how history, how news is propagated with Mm -hmm. in relation to the character of Miyamoto, because of course, Yuichi is like, well, this is my ancestor. He was yeah. this yokai killer. He was clearly a hero. But in this city, there is the idea that he was a villain. And, um, and it's Yuichi throughout the story trying to essentially like streamline how he is going to feel about like Miyamoto. I mean, it's all uh, our Usagi is almost like the opposite of a conspiracy theorist. He's mm. coming into this, this new place and finding out that no one's belief about history matches his belief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of, of course it's, I, I guess it's not a, is it a spoiler yet to, <laughs> well, all I'm the episodes are available, or at least all, all ten. ten. The first ten. But, 
All ten, yeah. Oh, his name is cleared in the ten. Okay, so, okay. Yes. so, so I mean, he he Uzari turns out to be right mm -hmm. and proves it to everyone. But but he he's re he's really come into this place where he's the lone voice saying, "No, history isn't what you think it is." This guy you see as uh, a villain was a great hero. And that was a fun day. Uh, very humbly going to stand. <laughs> oh. um, excuse me, sir. May we please do a thing? <laughs> Um, and so, you know, we, we got permission to, yeah. to do like, no, he can, really loved it. Can we solely hear character for a little <laughs> bit? Um, but he was very generous with us. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it's not a hundred percent spelled out in the show as it occurs, but the, 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 the theoretical storyline in the past is that Miyamoto actually sacrificed his legacy in order to protect um japan yeah it, a lot of that didn't make it to the script but yeah. he knew he was going to ruin his reputation yeah. and he did it anyway because for the good of the world yeah he knew he was saving the world so yeah, yeah. but i feel like yuichi also didn't like he had to come to understand that he didn't also have the whole truth because he had he was carrying yeah. this prejudice against the yokai and those yeah, of us exactly. yeah those of, of us who have read usagi yojimbo know that um one of his sensei was in fact a, a yokai or like a, a demon character yeah that's a big a big part of the arc of the series is him realizing that these um, people basically who he had always seen as monsters are people. Mm -hmm. We got to talk to Stan yesterday before we got mm -hmm. to see all 10 episodes. We were only given the first two, but he seemed really excited about um, you coming to him about doing something with Miyamoto Usagi that had never been been done before. Um, and I think that's significant considering that he has been thinking about this character continuously for so many years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of people have played in his playground the way that yeah. you all have. Yeah. It was a huge honor. Yeah. But so mm -hmm. my question to you would be, as you are humbly going before Stan talking about some of these changes, these ideas that you have, uh, you know, the way that he made it seem was he was like thrilled and was so willing to adapt. Was there ever any kind of like, you know, pushback at all? Or or what were those conversations even like, th those initial ones? You mean solely about Miyamoto's past? Well, just... Miyamoto's past and I guess also just sort of um, you know, you're also playing with descendants of his entire supporting cast or yeah. a large chunk of his supporting cast. Um, he seemed to enjoy, and I mean, there is this separation. These are not Stan's characters, they're mm -hmm. descendants. So he gave us leeway. He um he was super supportive. Yes. Um, and I think I mean he was saying actually at the at the premiere last night that he's so used to working alone. It was just a fun experience for him to get to like collaborate with a big group of people and be involved in this thing that's, mm -hmm. you know, that eventually had, I don't know, what, hundreds of people working on yes. it over multiple continents. Yeah. Um, but he, he's protective of his property, but he's not 
like overprotective of it. He yeah. had a nice balance of, yeah, we're going to keep Miyamoto safe, but yeah. here you can have fun with him. But too. even, even when he wanted changes, he's so nice mm-hmm. about it. It's like, just want to point out that if you fold the garment this way, as you have it, it means the character is dead. <laughs> fold the, oh, okay. <laughs> fold it the other way. Awesome. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think, you know, as a, a longtime reader of Usagi Ujimbo comics, I get the impression or the wrong impression because he hasn't had so many people play with his characters that he is very um, tight with what they, how they should behave. But in talking to him the other day, he seemed now very open to the idea of other artists coming in and possibly yeah. doing more comics and I, you know, I got the impression that it was through your collaboration with him that you kind of, you know, opened his eyes to the possibilities. Maybe, maybe we softened him up for everybody else. <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. I mean, we just were trying to be absolutely respectful of the work that he's been doing for so long and like such amazing work. We didn't want to be. We didn't want to come you, in. With you know, a people who come in and, and start fiddling up everything that you've done you know um and i think he i think he really enjoyed the process and it was it was great for us getting to work with him so you know i can i can only hope that we that we made him happy yeah i hope so we finally met in person last night and he was so nice that was your first meeting yes we first in-person meeting yeah yeah, so we've been talking talking to him for a few years on zoom and uh, yeah, to finally get to meet him in person, I was like, he was so nice. We but we actually we had we we never had a meeting with with Stan. We had one meeting on the show, and they were like, okay, your office is going to be over there. And then the next day, everything shut down. Oh, of course. So the entire series, except for that first meeting, was done remotely. Man, that's nuts. To and me, last night at the premiere, we were just like walking around going, Eric's tall? <laughs> that was the whole evening. It's like, look at you. <laughs> it was crazy. I just find the the realm of animation to be so magical and extraordinary because um, it really is just the convergence of ideas. The places don't exist. The characters don't exist. And all of this collaboration um, creates space, creates I, 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 something tangible, something tangible. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, and especially with, uh, over the course of the pandemic, not, not being able to get together except for in the realm of, of ideas. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know that you guys have been working in, in animation for a long time. Is there, is there something you find kind of magical about, animation and creating something from nothing yeah i mean it's it never it, it ceases to amaze it, it is exactly that it is there's you start with nothing but ideas and then you never really make anything it remains <laughs> it remains ideas all the way through the process i mean you're uh i mean now like people are rarely even physically drawing on paper it's mm-hmm. it's all ones and zeros i just love that point when in the middle of the production my heart bursts open because Mm -hmm. I realize that the characters are now real 
and they feel real to me. And I know they're not, I, you know, we started them out on paper, but there's that moment when I believe that they're real. There's Mm -hmm. that, that, you get to that point where you're like, you're like writing a scene in a script and you're just like, honey, Chizu won't let me do this. (laughs) Chizu says, no, she would not do this. We got to figure out another way to do Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, they, they definitely, you start feeling like you are watching them and taking dictation instead of commanding their directions. Yeah. And that's, that's when it, uh, that's when it truly feels magical. Mm -hmm. As a creative couple ourselves, uh, I'm very interested in how the two of you work. You know, this idea of like, honey, Chizu won't let me do something. (laughs) I want to explore that a little bit more. Like, you know, at at least you two had each other uh, in the creative process while you were doing this over the last two years, Zooming Mm -hmm. and ones and zeros and all that stuff. Can you talk a little bit more? Can you extrapolate about that, that specific relationship that you two have? Um, I, I feel like we, when we're working on a project together, it sort of becomes our life. And that's what we talk about all the time in the car over dinner Mm -hmm. and, um, hopefully not in an unhealthy way <laughs> but it's funny how we talk about them like they're real people and yeah um and then we start noticing things about them that we didn't put in there and it's like it is it is weird like now people would be like who wrote this line and we're like i guess usagi wrote it i like <laughs> have no idea where that came from yeah but um we tend to work a lot of different ways sometimes one of us will start and the other one will pass it back and forth sometimes we sit and come up with everything together Mm -hmm. um also once uh the voice actors start that takes uh the characters in a different direction because the voice actors bring something new to the character it starts becoming more real and bigger when yeah. the, the artists, when the animatics start coming in, uh, that definitely influences the direction of the rest of the show. Yeah, I mean, it has to be a collaborative process with the actors as well as the artists. I mean, I, I come from a theater background, so I'm never going to want to come in and tell any of the actors that something has to be done a certain way. Mm. It's like, this is one way to do it, but like, what ideas do you have? Like, let's, and then, and then as you start recording the show in those first few episodes, you see what the strengths of the actors are and you try to you know play as much as yeah. you can into those. Mm-hmm. And then our, our collaboration is, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird because on this show, the collaboration happened at the same time as being shut off from the rest right. of the world. So like, I mean, we're together all of the time 24 hours a Starts day with our imaginary friends <laughs> and yeah so i mean I, I feel like so much of creating the show is just like us talking about stuff mm-hmm. like that's 90 percent of the work and then someone goes and types for a little bit yeah yeah i know for like lisa and myself the only time we ever get frustrated with each other is when we are discussing the business of our creative endeavors that we do. Yeah. Uh, we can get so um, <laughs> passionate about our points of view and then having to collaborate and be married. 
It's mm-hmm. so, oh, so challenging. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't like the business end of things. I don't like, <laughs> oh, I just want to point out a hmm. lot of story points also came out in the writer's summit with, oh, yeah. with our group of writers and Ben, the supervising producer contributed a lot to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so and the it, whole look that King mm-hmm. Lee came up with. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying it was just sure. Yeah. Right. Of course. The story. Yeah, there yeah. was a group of people. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to leave this conversation without talking about the style, the, the visual language and the design of this story, because it is so unique and, and the way that it deals with the past visually versus mm-hmm. the present is maybe the great surprise of the entire series. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about uh, differentiating uh, Miyamoto's history versus Yuichi's present? Well, I mean, a big part of creating the world of the show was trying to create a future Japan that, and a future world, not just Japan, that mm-hmm. that, that sort of minimizes European influences. Mm-hmm. Um so it's as if, you know, in, in feudal Japan, they got this tremendous source of power, the keystone, and the world, like history developed differently from that point. Also, they were talking animals. Yeah. But apart from it. So, they, you know, they, they weren't like bringing in influences from other parts of the world so much. It's just feudal Japan in the future. And I mean, there's a little bit in there, but for the most part, we tried to keep it to historical Japanese influences. Mm-hmm. Well, we um, had our own ideas when we first started. We, you know, we wanted um, it to look like, um, you know, medieval J- Japanese buildings that got taller mm-hmm. and were added onto over the years. And so we're like, okay, well, let's explain this to the artists. Yeah. And then we met Kang and we were, and, and saw his first, drawings and we were like never you got this <laughs> we don't need to we don't need say to talk anything. about this so <laughs> you, you yeah so but he, kang had come up with that idea of the modular city where it's mm-hmm. all built out of pieces that can be moved around which was genius a, a brilliant idea from a budgetary standpoint if if no other mm-hmm. reason just to be able to like if you need a new street you can build it out of the pieces that you have mm-hmm. um and he also, I think he was the one who uh, introduced the idea that uh, there are a lot of uh, streets that don't meet at right angles and a lot of levels. So there are steps up. So you, you can never see very far into the distance in the city. So you don't have to constantly be rendering all this stuff <laughs> some mile away because there's a building there. Yeah. So it was, it was very budget friendly, but it also gives it this very populated feel where there's lots of information on the screen and signage and and there's no there's no text in the series but you know the all the 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 advertisements mm-hmm. and stuff yeah very full frames in Sab- yeah. samurai rabbit mm-hmm. yeah um i love this idea of uh like isolating a concept of the past and then extrapolating that out and i yeah. and i think that was also very much reflected in the music by Aiko Fukushima. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, yes. I think the score is just absolutely like, cause it does, you get that sense yeah. of like those traditional instruments, but then mm-hmm. like those instruments 
like extrapolated in like a modern way. But yeah. How did it feel getting that resourcing and then getting that music? Yeah, it was so incredible. Um, yeah. Through the whole show, we were always like, we want to keep the past alive. We want to keep the past alive. And I mean, she nailed it yeah. with the music. Um, and she, I mean, some some of the uh, musicians on this are are like fairly famous uh, traditional instrument musicians, uh, the Yoshida brothers, the mm -hmm. Shamisen players. And uh, there are like real... I mean, so many shows I've worked on are all synth. There's mm -hmm. no actual musicians in there, but there, there are a lot. There's a lot of real performance in this, and a lot of traditional instruments. And every now and then, they would be like, "We have this instrument we want to use. It sounds really great. It's not actually Japanese. It's Indian." And it's like, "That's that's fine. We don't have to be, you know, like let's get the sound." But it has that sound of, you know, these these older instruments that 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 feel like they bring history with them. Mm -hmm. You totally feel that like a real instrument and it's all of its unpredictable resonance, mm -hmm. like that chaotic thing that only comes from nature. You can totally hear that in yeah. the score. It just pops. When we watch animated shows so often where they skimp on is the score. And yeah. here in Samurai Rabbit, we're like, well, where's our album? I need the LP. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, what I was thinking, like, oh man, I wish we had done full versions of some of the songs, particularly yeah. in the next 10 um, episodes. There's some really, yeah, there's really some great stuff in there. It gets, it gets even more amazing as it goes along. Yeah. I just want to say. Well, that's what I want to I want to talk about that before we go. Uh, so 10 episodes are out now streaming on Netflix. Another 10 episodes in the future. Um, yes, but I, I imagine it won't be too far away. Um, yeah. They're finishing up the last few episodes right now. OK, so, OK, uh, so too long. Can you give us a hint without spoiling anything of how the story will continue? There is an overarching that keeps going and there are some new things. So there, there will be some things that get tied up. All right, all right. I think Allie might shut the power off. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I appreciate yes. it. I, I had to try a little bit. I, 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 I'm very excited at the possibility of more Samurai Rabbit, especially in the continuing conversation with legacy and honor and all of that good stuff. Um, but Doug and Candy, thank you so much for joining us and chatting Samurai Rabbit. We are over the moon for this series and we're just so excited that it's finally out there. We've been anticipating it for such a long time. I can't imagine how it's been for you anticipating uh -oh. this series. So a big congratulations to you thank both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, this has you. been really great. Yeah, thanks. Oh, yay. Uh, on, on that note, then, uh, we will hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll just be uh, sitting by the television <laughs> waiting for more Samurai Rabbit. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I know that bats are mammals. And I embarrassed <laughs> myself in front of Stan Sakai. I was just trying to describe, you know, like most of his creatures, his people look like dogs and cats and things. Lisa. And bunnies. You should not feel bad at all. I, I mean, the person who should be really embarrassed is your husband and all the terrible uh, varieties of the way that he pronounces all these characters' names. I, I felt vindicated because... 
even the creative team doesn't all pronounce Usagi, Usagi the same. <laughs> right. And, um, it's and okay. yeah, and I like to mix it up too. Why not have fun with sounds? Yeah, we're doing a good job here. We're doing okay. <laughs> but how wonderful was that conversation? Uh, truly an honor to have Stan on the show, to have the Langdales on here, to have Kong Lee. Uh, everyone was so generous with their time. Do you know what I, I didn't consider? Uh, uh, what? That um, even imaginary real estate costs money. Yeah. Where they're like, well, we have to make the roads... Uh, angled at such a way that you can't look down a street because looking down a street costs yeah. more money or looking between buildings yeah. costs more money. I, I mean, think about the creation of this show in lockdown, mm -hmm. right? Like there's no pen and paper, as they were saying. You know, this is just ones and zeros. And the only people who were sharing a room were the Langdales. Everyone was doing these creative conversations across Zoom. Digital animation is just the most perfect metaphor uh -huh. for the creative process. Yeah. Because the the product is just ephemeral. Yes. Until someone who didn't have anything to do with the creation process gets to see it. Yeah, something from nothing. Or nothing from nothing. Nothing for nothing. We're getting <laughs> deep here on Comic Book Couples Counseling. So yeah, there you go, everyone. That's our Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles celebration episode. I love it so much. Yeah, and we're getting 10 more episodes. So exciting. Yeah. I'm going to watch all of those, hopefully in one sitting. Well, uh, yes, we're definitely going to do it in one sitting because this is a show I binge. Uh, there you go, my friends. Next week on the podcast, we are starting up a new couple series. We are discussing Angela and Sarah from Angela Asgard's Assassin for Marvel Comics, a series that listeners have been begging for for three years. Jamie, Max, it's happening. We see you. We also have Kyle Starks coming on to talk about I Hate This Place from Image Comics and Skybound. And somewhere in there in the next couple of weeks, Brad is leaving Lisa for Anaheim, going to Star Wars Celebration. I'm pretty excited about it. No hall passes. <laughs> Slave Leia's stay away. Of course, Oscar Isaac open on both sides. Uh, agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah, agreed, so agreed. if he's there. Yeah, all Moon Knights may enter. <laughs> Uh, what a great way to end that episode, Lisa. Well, we now know that there is enough of that guy to go around. Okay. So where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you, Brad? <laughs> uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Oh boy, thank you for asking. I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter, Oscar Isaacs, slide into those DMs. <laughs> if you'd like to spend more time, quality time with yes, us, quality. you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, mm. you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, 
why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.